Let's continue on understanding here the, the teachings of Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato, Rabbi Shalom, uh, the Ramchal, knowing God's plan. And so now let's continue here. And we're continuing here with the discussion of the rabbi and the student because it's just the way these lessons or these uh, these teachings have been brought down. And so now let's continue with the rabbi and what he has to say. The rabbi now here says, I have more to say about this. If we take a more detailed look at the various characteristics of the body and soul, it will become very clear how they all result from the two attributes that we have mentioned, the concealment and revelation of God's presence, which are their sources. The body and soul in their very, in their very detail are based on their sources. Therefore, these sources completely define all their characteristics. God in his wisdom went even further than this. He decreed that the nature of these two attributes should be revealed in the actual construction of the body and soul, which they give rise to. So therefore, in addition to the fact that the body, with all its various elements, is derived from the attribute of concealment, it is also in its structure and constitutes constituent parts a perfect representation of the entire functioning of the attributes of concealment itself. The soul too, is a perfect representation of the entire functioning of the attribute of revelation. And this is something unique to the human form which was created, as the verse say, states in Bereshit, in our image, after our likeness. This means that the human form is a perfect representation of all the ways God's attribute acts upon the world. And here's a note that says that this explanation gives us a profound understanding of this familiar verse. God is without form and is limitless. And therefore, the human body obviously cannot reflect God himself in any way at all. Rather, the human form is a perfect representation of the way his attributes act upon the world. When it says that he created man in his own image, it is as if to say the image of the divine attributes as they act upon the world and these attributes that we have already learned are not according to god's infinite essence rather they are only according to the level of the beings that he created and so now let's continue where the rabbi continues to say that now the body in its very essence is dark and coarse in fact even if it becomes worthy of reaching its highest possible level it must still remain inferior to the soul the whole difference between them is that the soul is an exalted and resplendent creation which comes from the revelation of God's presence, where the body is not like that at all. It is something which itself has no light, a production, a product of the concealment of God's presence. So it is true that the body can be purified to the greatest possible degree, which is up to the last point where there will still remain a minimal difference between itself and the soul. Nevertheless, even at that stage, the soul will, will be what it is, an entire an entity totally beyond any aspect of degeneration, whereas the body will still be naturally prone to degeneration. It will just have managed to become purified to the extent that it has and does exist e eternally. So no further that the body is made up of separate limbs and parts, each one with his own specific function. The eye sees but does not hear. The ear hears but does not see. The soul, however, contains the abilities within it, but unlike the body, it is not separated into different limbs. Rather, we know that all of it, all of it is present in each part of it. You will now see how this difference follows directly from the principle that he has been describing, that the body is created through the concealment of God's presence and the soul from the revelation of his presence. You will also come to understand an extremely important and fundamental concept. You have already 
we've already learned in the previous lessons that God's attribute of perfection is one constant state, since the concept of decrease or decrease cannot apply to two perfection. However, when God does not wish to act upon the world with the force of his attribute of perfection, he employs many different means for rewarding and punishing each person according to his deeds, as we explained before. So now, God's wisdom decreed that the being he created should in itself reveal, through its structure and form, how it was created, as we explained. And therefore, just as the attribute of concealment has many different facets, so too God desired to create this being with many different parts and limbs, so that there should be an exact correspondence between the different parts of the human body and all the different types of directive forces that he uses as part of his attribute of concealment. And this is the idea I, that the rabbi mentioned earlier about which the verse says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this means that all the exalted attributes that can be distinguished within God's glory as he acts upon the world according to his limited level are mirrored in the various parts of the human form. So it says here as a note also that it's not, obviously not God himself in his infinite essence who was mirrored in the form of man, rather the attributes through which God acts upon the world according to the limited nature of the world are reflected in man's form, as we will now explain. For example, the eye is a reflection of the eye of God's providence, which oversees all the inhabitants of the earth in order to judge all their actions. Thus it says, I will go down and see. We see this in Bereshit which teaches us that a judge must render his decision only according to what he personally sees. Man's ears are a reflection of the fact that God listens to people's prayers and songs of praise, as it says, and God heard their cry. We see this in Shemot. And the sages said, know what is above you, God's eye that sees everything you do, and his ear that hears everything you say. We see this in Avos. Man's mouth is a reflection of the fact that God's mouth speaks to his prophets while they are in a state of prophecy and of the fact that he makes the majesty of his voice audible to the mighty angels who carry out his will. So similarly, we can use this principle to understand all the other parts of the human body. Their form and function parallel the attribute that God puts in place in order to direct his creations. Man's body has a right side and a left side with parallel limbs on each side. Two eyes, two ears, two arms, and two legs Likewise, there are two sides to the way that God acts upon the world, either with kindness or with severity. With the right side, he finds a person to be worthy, and with the left side, he finds one to be guilty. And this is the way God desired to direct the creation after he concealed his attribute of perfection, which acts equally upon all existence to bring it to a state of perfect good. And furthermore, just as all the various parts of the body are discernible and separate from one another according to their different functions, so too all the various things that happen to man when God's presence is concealed are due to the complex series of varied events that form part of the divine plan. And this is something that we can observe in everything that happens in the world on a daily basis. In contrast, the attribute of God's perfection is absolutely one, as he has mentioned. Its nature is to predominate all over all imperfections in order to perfect them. It has no divisions within it. Rather, it acts equally, perfecting whatever needs to be perfected. The same old true holds true for the soul, which is created by the revelation of God's perfection. The purpose of this correlation between the attribute of perfection and the soul is for the soul to rule over the body and purify it so that God will respond to the soul's actions 
measure for measure. And he will do this by causing a revelation of the attribute of perfection, thereby correcting everything that is corrupt and imperfect in the world. As we explained before the, at, the, at the end of the previous lesson. So, however, if the body and its desires hold sway over man, the world becomes liable to punishment. And this is because God then hides his perfection, causing the world and his inhabitants to become subject to the laws of the ever-changing cycle of time and the manner of all temporal creation, uh, creatures who are subject to whatever fortunes the passage of time may bring upon them. The body, therefore, has within its structure everything that reflects the complex and ever-chasing nature of what happens in the world when God hides his perfect goodness. And this correlation exists in order that if the body achieves a situation of dominance over man by ruling over him, it will cause this complex pattern of events to come upon him. And here's a note that says the attribute of concealment gives rise to two related things. On the level of created beings, it gives rise to the body and on the level of God's guidance of the world, it gives rise to darkness and suffering. As a result of the inter interconnection between all these elements, when man causes the body to prevail over the soul, it strengthens the attribute of concealment, which in turn, turn causes darkness and suffering to come into the world. Both the body and the guidance of the world through the attribute of concealment share the common characteristic of consisting of many complex parts. And this in turn is a reflection of the essence of the attribute of concealment itself. And similarly, the attribute of revelation gives rise to the soul, of, of, of the, the soul on the level of created entities and to the light and perfection on the level of God's guidance of the world. When the soul prevails, prevails, the attribute of revelation is strengthened, causing the world to become perfected. Both the soul and the guidance of the world through the attribute of revelation shares the characteristic of being indivisible and one, and this in turn reflects the essence of the attribute of revelation and perfection. And so here to continue with what the rabbi is saying, so too the soul has within it everything that reflects God's attribute of perfection, the nature of which is to perfect every deficiency in order that it should bring upon itself that which is similar to it if man proves himself worthy of correcting his path. Man achieves this by granting the soul the crown of royalty, allowing it alone to rule over the body with his wisdom and natural preferences, which are truly good. And this whole subject is beautifully explained in the Midrash of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We see this in the Zohar, that it is written there, one should know that he is called wise with every type of wisdom, mighty and with every kind of might, righteous with every kind of righteousness. Apart from the mystical interpretation that has been explained by the Kabbalists, according to their holy ways, we can learn from the simple meaning of the words what I explained to you earlier. But the rabbi here explained earlier in the previous lessons that God has given many titles, yet they do not apply to his true being, for it is impossible to ascribe to him any individual aspects. They are only from the point of view of his creations, according to those attributes we have ascribed to him. We stress, not from the point of view of his true being, but from that of his creations. And this is what is meant by the continuation of the above midrash. These Titles exist from the standpoint of the create of, of the creatures that were going to be created. And however, even though it says from the standpoint of the creatures that were going to be created, it clearly does not mean that these attributes were a manifestation of something new in him that was not there before. Forfend the thought, since there can be no new element or change in God. He had the ability to do all this before he actually created everything. 
Rather, these attributes relate only to the finite creation and not to describe his infinite essence. The Midrash goes on to say in the same way that God can be only be described in terms of his actions on the world, he created the soul in such a way that it can only be described in terms of his actions on the body, not in terms of his essence. This is because the soul's composition reflects the attributes of God's perfection through which it was created. The Midrash continues, just as the soul is indefinable, so too the master of the world is indefinable. All his titles relate to him only in the way that the primary forces of creation relate to him. He fills them and envelops himself in them. And just as the master of the world has no name by which he can properly be called, so too the soul has no name by which it can be properly called. See there in the Zohar at greater length. So you must examine this concept very closely to us to understand properly the nature of the body and soul and everything else that is connected to the subject. So now, it is impossible to ascribe any name or title to God's perfect essence because we have no understanding of his perfect essence and we cannot ascribe a name to something that we do not understand. A name serves to define the thing that bears its name and we cannot define something which we do not have complete knowledge of. Nevertheless, we are able to grasp certain individual aspects of the revelation of his glory in the created world, such as his compassion, dominion, strength, judgment, pity, anger, power, and so on. We are only able to grasp these attributes through his actions upon the world. The prophets, though, are able to experience the attributes themselves at their source when God grants them a prophetic revelation. And according to this understanding of his glory, which we are able to attain, we ascribe to him these titles, compassionate one, ruler, mighty one, judge, and so on. So now, even though God in his perfection is totally unlimited and infinite, since he desired the existence of certain attributes in order to run the world, he desired that they should exist with the limits and dimensions and that he wanted them to have. For this reason, we can call one attribute compassion and another dominion, one strength and another love. And so it's with all of the attributes. The attribute of compassion contains only compassion and the attribute of dominion contains only dominion. And furthermore, the attribute of compassion has only the amount of compassion that God desires and the attribute of dominion has only the amount of dominion that he desires. And so it is with all of the attributes. This does not mean that God on the level of his infinite perfection has these particular powers within these particular dimensions. Rather, all this depends totally on God's will and he has the power to change it as we have already explained. On the contrary, we cannot ascribe limitations to his infinite perfection in any way at all. Nevertheless, because God wants to make use of these attributes and to act upon the world in this way, we are able to ascribe these titles to him. It is important to understand that when we say that God is compassionate, we do not mean that God himself in his essence has his attribute. This only holds true for a human being who has the character trait of compassion as part of his essence. We must not entertain the notion that God has his attribute ingrained in his essence and that we can therefore understand or grasp some element of his essence in some way. It is absolutely impossible to know anything about God's true essence. When we call God compassionate, we must understand that he desires this attribute of compassion should exist, but it's not part of his essence. It corresponds only to the level of the creation with the dimensions of that creation. And yet since he desires that this attribute should exist and he employs this attribute, we call him compassionate. 
His perfect and simple essence, though, is totally beyond any of his attributes. And this is what our tradition requires us to believe with complete faith, as he has already explained previously. So now we can understand how this same process is mirrored in the relationship between the body and the soul. The body consists of different individual parts and limbs, each one with its own individual and limited function. The soul, however, is indivisible and one in its essence, completely beyond anything associated with the body. Its ways are completely and utterly different from the ways of the body. Even the way we perceive the world through our senses has nothing to do with the way the soul itself perceives. However, the soul is the one that empowers the body to do whatever it does as long as it is attached to the body. And it is the one that hears through the physical ears of the body. It is the one that sees through the physical eyes of the body. And so it is with every other function of the body. It is for this reason that we say that the soul sees and hears and all the other descriptions that we apply to it. But in reality, these modes of perceiving the world have nothing to do with the way the soul itself operates. Even though it is the soul alone that sees and not the body, which is essentially inanimate and is therefore the soul that sees what we human beings do in fact see, this is not the soul's own way of seeing at all. In fact, the soul's own way of functioning is totally different from the way that the body functions. However, as long as man is limited by his present physical existence, he can have no concept of what this actually means. And nevertheless, since it is the soul that adopts the ways of the eye in order to see in the manner inherent in the eye, we can say that it is the soul that sees. The same principle applies to all other functions of the body. The general principle is that the soul is in an entity that innately is extremely distant from the ways of the body. However, it is created in such a way that it can carry out everything that is built into the individual characteristics of each limb of the body. The soul links itself to these characteristics and performs all the actions that inherit in the body. And for this reason, we are able to associate all these actions with the soul. This relationship between the soul and the body is completely analogous to the relationship between God's perfection and the individual attributes he chooses to use in order to run the world. God's perfection has absolutely no element of these finite attributes within it at all. They are individual attributes that he desired to bring into being with the limitations and dimensions that we choose. However, in his absolute perfection, he acts through these attributes. And this enables us to call him by various names and titles and to associate certain actions and descriptions with him. In reality, God and his infinite perfection is absolutely one and indivisible and has absolutely no connection with any of these descriptions or actions at all. And so now the student now responds and says, this correspondence of the body to his attributes and the soul to God's perfection is very clear. It has opened up many new possibilities of understanding man's situation during each period of his existence. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve Amen.